Hello, welcome back to Meraki Unboxed. My name is Simon Thompson, your host for today. Great to have you back for episode 88 of the Meraki Unboxed podcast. Uh, we're enjoying putting these together every couple of weeks. Uh, it's always a bit of hard work behind the scenes, but it always pays off in the end. And we're definitely going to make sure we do that today because we are doing a special episode for Cybersecurity Month. We wanted to make sure we had a security-focused topic to share with you all on this uh, on this very important month for those of us who work in IT. And so we'll get into a great conversation with a couple of distinguished and expert TMEs or technical marketing engineers from the Cisco family uh, very shortly. Before we get into that discussion, I just would like to do the regular housekeeping. As I always say, I would love to have your ideas or even you personally featured on the Meraki Unboxed podcast. If you have an interest in what we do here at Cisco Meraki, uh, and you have an interesting idea for an episode that we could do. Uh, maybe you have a partner you work with with a great solution. You've solved a big problem using our technology. I would love to hear from you. Please do reach out to me on Twitter. You can find me there. My handle is at Meraki Simon. Uh, and I'm on Twitter every day. Not all day every day, but I'm on there every day. And I'll easily see your message. Uh, so just drop me a note and let me know what you think of the show and any ideas that you would like to share because uh, as I said, we would love to keep this responsive to what you're interested in. Best way we can do that is to get your ideas uh, plugged into this whole process. Okay, so let's return to our featured uh, episode today, which is around cybersecurity. And to kick things off, I'd like to start with some introductions. Uh, I'm going to bring in um, Alex Berger from Cisco Meraki. Hey, Alex, how are you doing today? Hey, and not too bad. How about yourself? Oh, I'm doing splendid. It's Monday as we're recording this one. And um, I was explaining earlier on that it did take me a while to get the gears moving today, this Monday. You know what Mondays can be like, but uh, we're up and running now, ready to go for this podcast. Um, thanks for joining us, Alex. And where are you, where are you dialing in from? Uh, so from Colorado. Beautiful. Beautiful. Is it still nice and warm up there? It is. It hasn't got to winter yet, but we're getting close. We've had a couple of days of frigid cold, but now it's back up into the 70s, which is, it's a nice, nice little change before we drop into winter. Yes. Enjoy it while you can. Um, tell us what you do for Cisco Meraki. Yeah. So I am a senior technical marketing engineer, uh, typically focused on our switching platforms, but I do work a lot on cross product, uh, kind of zero trust type feature sets, uh, especially around security, uh, as a whole. And, uh, I've kind of been here for probably about seven years working in various capacities. Wow. Perfect guest for this episode. Actually, Alex, I just remembered we've had you on here before, haven't we? Can you remember what the topic was? I, I don't remember the episode number. Yeah, we're probably going to talk about it again, but uh, it was adaptive policy. It was like mm. two years ago, though. Wow. Time flies when you're enjoying yourself. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Alex. Um, also, I'd like to bring in a new guest to the podcast, Darren Miller from Cisco. How are you doing today, Darren? Doing wonderful. How are you? I'm still doing well, just as well as I was two minutes still ago. Doing well. <laughs> I, I'm just checking to see if the caffeine's still working. You said that you had to, you know, wait for it to kick in. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, everything's everything's uh, functioning at optimal uh, speed here from too many cups of uh, coffee coffee and caffeine yeah that's what i was about to say is it kind of over rotated today it started off with nowhere near enough in the system and now i'm in danger of too much so but i'll try and keep it in check um darren where, whereabouts are you dialing in from i'm dialing in from ohio i've been a telecommuter or hybrid worker for my entire career and we won't go into how long that's been uh <laughs> because it's been far too long 
He's old. I know the feeling. <laughs> I know the feeling. We're, we're not going to start doing numbers here. We're not going to do that. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Um, okay, and tell us what you do for Cisco. Uh, I'm a distinguished techno- technical marketing engineer. Um, I work on security architectures and primarily security architectures that uh, are big uh, distributed systems. So that means that I don't work on a single product. I typically am working to put multiple products together mm. into a, an effective security architecture for large enterprise, small enterprise, you know, all, all sorts of customers uh, across the, the globe. And actually, you, as you say that, the, the thoughts that came into my head, it's the reminder around security, which is it's no one thing, right? So it's a collection of different practices and technologies to help us achieve it, um, which is actually a great segue into the first thing I wanted to really touch on, as it is Cybersecurity Month, is just to just talk about that for a minute and, and just sort of ask what it is and, and why Cybersecurity Month is a thing. Why is it important? Yeah, um, you know, Cybersecurity Month for me, you know, I, I do work with some nonprofits that are smaller institutions and they have security issues. They, they're one's a, you know, a, a animal fostering service and they have mm. cybersecurity issues, not because people want to attack, you know, the fostering program, but just because simple ways to leverage computers and use it for ransomware or anything else to derive money is a risk. And so whether it's in your personal life or in a small business or a medium business or a large business, breaches are occurring and they're ever increasing. So it's always sort of top of mind, you know, that security is a necessary component for just basic IT business continuance. You have to run the business. So it's always front and center in the discussion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Alex, were you, you going to say something there? Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say that, yeah, I think that, you know, Cybersecurity Month is an interesting one just because it is a, a focus on an area that always frustrates people. Uh, dealing with, uh, you know, anything from my brother, my mom and family, uh, they consistently are concerned but have no idea, like, what security means, especially when it comes to accessing the Internet or mm-hmm. you know, networks in general. And uh, I think it's a it's a fun topic. I hope to I hope it gets brought, you know, further and further into the a mix of uh, customer base because yeah, like my, my brother, for instance, always has concerns around network security uh, that, you know, it's kind of nice to have a focus this month, probably point him to this podcast. In fact, there you go. Always a good to have another listener. Um, I, I, I must admit, I, I tend to think that cybersecurity, at least going by what I hear on the jobs market, cybersecurity seems to be just about the hottest ticket in it. Is that, is that what you hear as well? I would say I would say it's always a part of uh, a lot of roles. I think it depends on the business uh, specifically and whether they find it important, uh, which usually that's just one breach away from importance. But um, yeah. I, I work with a lot of different size enterprises, and one of the reasons that security is a service and or embedded security is a big discussion, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit, is because training and finding talent for cybersecurity is extremely difficult, uh, whether in the United States or elsewhere in the world. And so it's always in demand. And, you know, one of the big initiatives that Cisco's had for a number of years is, you know, training all sort of disciplines of IT about cybersecurity. And so it's definitely always a top of mind subject. 
I think the interesting one to me is that, I mean, I've been working in IT my whole career, and that's also quite long, Darren. Um, we're not, as like I said, we're not going to do numbers, but uh, it's long enough. Mm-hmm. And uh, and in some ways, I'm kind of surprised that we're still having to put this front and center all the time because you would think we would have solved these problems given how important they are to us. So that that begs the question for me: Well, what? Why is it that security continues to be an ongoing focus? Uh, I have to believe it's because. Uh, I don't know, threats are increasing or because uh, the, the nature, the breadth of those uh, those attacks is potentially increasing as well. You know, what, why is it that security continues to be a concern? It's the ever-evolving nature of technology that every time a new technology is developed and introduced, um, we have new attack vectors. We have a bigger, quote-unquote, attack surface, which just means that all of the different constituent components if you made application a with 10 components and you make application b with 10 different components you know it's 20 different components that you can attack potentially and so the surface area just gets bigger which leads to more vulnerabilities which means there's more vectors for attack and so as the world gets more digitized you know that's a digitization is a big buzzword within it mm-hmm. as that happens the bigger the attack surface, the more attack vectors, and you know, the more commonly you'll hear big public breaches or small private breaches happening. I guess that makes sense, and and there's also that human factor as well around uh, just the na- the way in which we all work. So not just the technology, but the, some of those human aspects as well. A- absolutely, was, you know, good, Alex. I was going to say, I was going to add to that. I think the when we talk about digitization, like we're adding, you know, tons and tons of devices, whether they're, you know, IOT devices for sensors to track the quality of like indoor air or, you know, refrigeration units, but we're also adding more and more people that are connected to that technology that mm-hmm. may or may not have any idea how it works. Uh, I still, I still get baffled when I see people with a, a password written on a sticky note stuck to their keyboard. Uh, but that's not an uncommon thing still to this day, especially as we continue to, I, I guess, thrust technology into people's hands for uh, to get their jobs done. And mm-hmm. I think it, I think that's why it has to be top of mind, is because a lot of times there's folks that are involved that just don't understand that security is important, and it takes every, you know, every member of that uh, of that business to you know make sure security is useful and carried out. Gotta have a really high productivity function in the sense that, you know, it's very easy to lock things down and make them very secure. It's, it's very hard to do that with a high productivity com- uh, component, meaning that you want the, the user, the us, you know, doing our jobs on a daily business to, basis to have a high productivity. Mm-hmm. So you want to be up and to the right where you have high productivity and, you know, the horizontal line is high security and that's where you want to go. And so that's a lot of what you know, zero trust is a, a big industry buzzword, and that's what a lot of it is about. Yeah, we'll definitely be returning to that topic. Um, I, I actually, I'd like to just call out that uh, Alex gets the first top tip for Cybersecurity Month into the podcast, which is don't write your password on a sticky note. Uh, stick it on your screen. Don't do that. Oh, oh gosh. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for the reminder, Alex. And, and it's a good one. No, I mean, I'm I'm actually kind of amazed that anybody would still do such a thing. But uh, I have no doubt that that somebody listening to this podcast is 
is uh, is a bit red faced at this moment. And um, yeah, you know what to do. You know what to do. Um, I think I also wanted to uh, call out some of the ways in which uh, the the workplace is changing and how that also has an impact on security because especially when we think back to what's just happened with the pandemic and the way that the world of uh, of working online has has changed I mean that that's obviously evolved some of the ways in which we um, uh, we interact online and 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 so potential new issues there would I be right in assessing that absolutely. Um, yeah. you know, there, there's been a big push for apps to move to the cloud or using cloud apps, you know, software as a service. But then, so you, you had the applications spreading out and there was a big push to secure multi-cloud uh, in environments with IT. And then the users were forced home. And so hybrid work is now the norm. It's the number one use case. And mm. so now you have a huge mesh of connectivity that you need to a provide and then b figure out a way as an enterprise architect or a small business architect to figure out how to deliver that securely so it it adds to the attack vectors it adds to the attack surface and then there's the human element you know one of the best things for me if you're someone that's very security conscious you know lockdown mode and uh apple products is a great thing because it mm. takes away, you know, accidental touches of hot links that could expose user data. Now, if you find that a very poor productivity in, you know, tool, which it can be, you, you might not want to use it. But it's that balance between, you know, what's effective security versus, you know, what's ease of use. And that comes into play with hybrid work very, very uh, strongly. Mm. Yeah, I, I think that's actually a very interesting way to think about it. We are always in that kind of seesaw between having a locked down, secure environment and having the ability to work seamlessly together, regardless of location. You can see that that's always going to be sort of teetering back and forth um, as we try and get that balance worked out. Very interesting. And and I, I think there's also the fact that, that sometimes things really do go wrong and that uh, occasionally there can be some some very serious uh, attacks which which make the news um I, I definitely remember the one that happened was it about a year or so ago i think around the colonial pipeline what was what happened though that one well uh you know a password was sold on the dark net uh you know sold within criminal circles and it was used to remotely access an environment and you know I, I don't know personally the details of that but you know ransomware was introduced and mm. you know part of the organization was held for ransom you know pay us money or else we won't give you control of the computers back and you know that has a negative effect i i've been part of some of those kinds of attacks in the response actions to them and they are quite crippling to you know home computers, as well as small business, as well as medium and large business, if those attacks get into an environment and they mm -hmm. get in with unfettered access, meaning they can move through the network with very little, uh, what some people call segmentation or very few speed bumps in the road, if you will, to yeah. slow down the attack, they can really you know, cripple a business. Yeah, I, don't, I think we can all agree that it's uh, it's an important topic. And so I'm very glad that we do have this 
this special month that reminds everybody, even those who are, who are not working super closely with the technology, um, of the importance and, and the way that it can potentially impact any of us uh, at any time. Uh, so if we accept that, then I guess one of the interesting questions I wanted to unpack with you, uh, both of you, is really uh, some of the challenges that we have with implementing a more secure networking environment. Uh, obviously, we, we have lots of technology at our disposal, uh, but what are some of the uh, challenges that we run into typically with implementation of that? I can, uh, I'd be glad to start it off and I'll have Darren uh, add some more context outside of my realm of uh, expertise here. But I, I will say that, uh, you know, my previous life, I was a post-sales engineer and I deployed so many different network products, uh, especially Cisco products. And I, I deployed anything from standard like authentication servers to wireless and switching. And one of the things that I always found um, very difficult to explain to a customer is that when you deploy security, you should do it in, in stages. And you should always try to just start understanding who is connected, what is connected, what are they connecting with, and then how are they connecting to the network before you can apply policy. And so a lot of times it you'd get to a customer and they just say, hey, let's just lock everything down to start. And then we'll open up things as, you know, as we get requests or mm. trouble tickets in, which is always a recipe for disaster because the minute someone comes in and they can't access, you know, uh, some resource or some file server that they've been using on a daily basis, uh, you know, they've got a lot of complaints and they're not, they're not doing much. And it goes back to Darren's comment on productivity. And I think that uh, outside of that, it's always that there's so many different touch points. There's so many different layers that you need to apply security to be effective and especially to not put all your eggs in one basket. Cause we all talk about like, you know, having that like single answer for, for things. And in this case, like security has so many facets mm -hmm. that it, it is present in, whether it's through, you know, the, as you mentioned, two-factor authentication or multi-factor auth, um, how we provide credentials, uh, and then how we actually restrict access to the network. Um, and I, I always noticed that the biggest issue that every customer had was visibility into what was connected and what people needed. A lot of it was guesswork. Uh, and a lot of times it was like really approaching this topic from a, like a, a, a single instance, like not an on, like we talked about cybersecurity. Why are we still talking about it? It's because it's always evolving. It's always needing to be updated, maintained. Yeah. And a lot of, a lot of customer environments, it was like, Hey, I have a project project to get security implemented in my network. The end. And not like a, <laughs> I have a team that's going to be managing security. Um, so anyway, I don't want to rant here. Uh, I'd like to let Darren speak to this as well, but, um, it was always a challenge, uh, in the field. Yeah. And, and you, you absolutely nailed it. You know, security is an ongoing continuous journey. It's never done. And that's really hard in business because, uh, you know, business people want, you know, and I'm sure maybe some of the listeners can, you know, have sympathy for this statement. They they want a an estimated cost, and they want it to be start date A and finish of B, and then you're on to the next project, and that's done. And it's and security is not like that. Security is a continuous investment that you need to to make. Now, you might have a big peak of investment at the beginning of a project, and then over time, it's a very simple thing to uh, administer. But you know, one of the things that I think the, the industry is 
done a disservice to to the customers is that we always build you know very focused security solutions and in the past they've been you know very error prone and static and you had multiple tools so you had to go through tool one and tool two and two three and you would have to correlate data between those different consoles and it wasn't very efficient so Mm. one of the things that we need to think about as we think of security as a journey is make the IT teams more efficient, uh, provide them not only the tools that are flexible and resilient, but the underlying infrastructure that's flexible and resilient software defined is a networking term that was very popular. But at the end of the day, software defined networking was really about efficiency and flexibility. Um, So we, we really need to sort of acknowledge the problems of the past and figure out and select solutions that are, are are pretty flexible and efficient in the future. There was an interesting uh, point that you touched on there, Darren, around um, having multiple tools and multiple point solutions for, uh, for, for achieving a, a better level of security protection overall. And the thing that came to mind for me there was something I remember from my networking days. I'm more of a networking guy. Um, and that's just that challenge of human error, which uh, which yeah. I guess is a pretty big one in the security world. A- absolutely. It, it has been for the last 30, the 35 years. Uh, not that I've been working that long in the industry. I've, I've read books that have told me that. Um, We're going to figure this you know, number out eventually. Of, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Keep going. Uh, it, it, in security, it all started with, in networking security, it all started with access control lists. And they're very... Mm static structures where you literally put a person in front of a keyboard and you say IP one to IP as a source destination is IP two and a permission of, you know, port 80 is, is allowed. And in hybrid environments in work from anywhere and app from anywhere, you know, attaching a, a policy to those structures is super inefficient and it has no flexibility. Mm. So if the app ever moves because your developers decide they don't like, like it in cloud one and they want to go to cloud two, more than likely that ACL is no longer valid and you got to go do something else. So we need a much more adaptive function. Did you like that, Alex? I, I put that word in there for you. For a dynamic security function in order to be effective in, in the, the modern you know, remote access-based hybrid work environment. Yeah. Yeah, I think there was a little hint there at, uh, at what's coming on, on, the, um, on the story that we're telling today. Um, so, I, I mean, that's all, yeah. you know, it all makes perfect sense. This is, this is really great stuff. Um, and, and that inflexibility, of course, means that you've got to reconfigure things uh, and the more times you have to reconfigure things, if, if there's a human involved, then the more opportunity you have for mistakes and and so something which can handle things and automate is is obviously going to help everybody so uh, so that really leads me to uh, this other topic which uh, which i think is, well it's very much related it's all built we're all building towards the same thing here which is around uh this concept of what we call what the industry calls zero trust uh so the network obviously has a part to play in that and and i just wonder if we could talk about that for a little bit talk about zero trust and and the components of that sure uh you know 
zero trust is basically the notion of flexibility and and the 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 notion of wanting to only allow the minimum amount of connectivity between a user and an application and you know for the last you know 35 years or so with ip networks coming into the forefront the vendors were asked to do very simple things give me fast cheap ubiquitous connectivity from anywhere and the vendors have done that and there was absolutely no regard to security built into that so we started to do these perimeters you know inside and out moats and what we've talked about previously in the podcast about you know attack victors come from everywhere you know people inside a perimeter people outside the perimeter and so that perimeter based security really needed to evolve and become more flexible and more dynamic mm-hmm. and so zero trust principles you know were developed in the early 2010s and and basically they've evolved into frameworks that there's a nist framework from the us government and it, it sort of focuses on a, a few key principles, which is one is you want to establish trust at both the network layer and at the application layer for users, devices, and services, applications. And you want to be able to do that in a you know robust manner. Uh, Alex, you talked about it, that MFA uh, you know acronym. What's that mean again? Multi-factor authentication. There Multiple you go. Factors. Yeah, you want to you want to be able to me here. use things like MFA to establish trust. That's why those push notifications to your phone or the the um, the numbers you're supposed to put into an application that's a second form of authentication. So we have multiple factors: the username and password, and this code or the push button from Cisco Duo to establish trust of the user and the device do a health monitor uh, as an example and then once you do that then you can move into the second phase which is least privilege and that's what we're going to talk about today but there's other principles like continuously verifying trust just because i logged in as darren doesn't mean that my endpoint isn't being misused by something else so we want to verify the trust and then if trust changes for an endpoint at a network layer or an application layer, we want to be able to respond to that change in trust and open an, an incident response ticket, uh, orchestrate remediation, all sorts of other things. But you really want to focus on users and devices, the, the network and cloud components, because you're going to some cloud as a service, and then the application and data security uh, involved. And that's, the, for Cisco, the founding principles of, of zero trust. Um, we have a number of different pr- approaches, depending if you're at the network layer or at that app layer, uh, to help you solve this. Zero trust is only as good as the data that you have as well. And so a lot of this is also putting the right tools in place to be able to really comprehend w- like who, who, what, when, where, you know, that whole, that whole bit to understanding why you have X connection from, you know, a specific user and then what they actually needed in the first place and i think that's like another piece i hope we can ensure we touch on because uh i think visibility and uh understanding your architecture is incredibly important uh, to doing it right absolutely 
Hundred percent. So let's let's move on then to how Cisco looks at this. Obviously, Cisco is one of the preeminent security organizations in the world, and you know we have some phenomenal technologies. That I think we're all very proud of. I uh, would love to unpack some of those just in this context of this discussion today. So let's let's talk a little bit about Cisco's overall approach to security and zero trust. What are we bringing to the party, um, Darren? You want to kick us off? Sure. You know, uh, for the purposes of this conversation, you know, we can talk about the establishment of trust, you know, so user authentication, device authentication, and the establishment of trust. And the way Cisco has approached it at the network layer, we, we have something called the identity services engine that establishes that trust and then interacts with the network elements, whether it's wireless, wired, VPN, or others to be able to then use what we call a classification of a user or a role of a user. So when I think of it as a, you know, uh, a, a role that determines whether you get into the building. So establishing trust is sort of like that badge reader. If you don't have the right role in the building, you know, to get into the building, you won't get into the building because of a locked door. Right. But inside of the building, there still might be, you know, badge readers that if you're in the wrong role, you can't get into the laboratory or you can't get into the manufacturing line or you can't get into a storage area. Um, that's a role-based access control that where we can establish least, least privilege. And we can do that across a number of products, you know, uh, switches, routers, wireless LAN controllers, firewalls, cloud proxies, on and on and on. Mm -hmm. Really, after you establish trust, you know, what's the use case you're trying to solve for? Because... There's times where you're sitting at Starbucks and you're going off to Office 365 or Google Apps and, you know, you, there's no network in between. So you need to have a different technology to establish that trust. And we have, you know, the, the Duo Beyond solution to, to establish trust there and still give, you know, least privileged access. Um, but one of the things that's, you know, very evident, and we talked about it with colonial pipeline you talked about unfettered access once you're inside of a network and you know, the lack of speed bumps and the lack of those you know building uh controls and we have a technology that we we call micro segmentation um it's been called trust in the past um, but it's basically you know assigning a role to a user or a device to make sure it can only do the minimum amount of access in an environment once you've done remote access VPN, once you've attached to the wireless network so that you can't move laterally unless you have to. And, mm -hmm. you know, Alex, you, you, you have a perspective of this that we've worked on together uh, with least privilege within a Meraki environment. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think the, I think the one thing that just to back up a tiny bit uh, and talk about a couple of the different, uh, I think key key terms or key functions that you usually have implemented are, uh, you know, one of the first things that I usually work with customers, especially in uh, sometimes uh, partners that are deploying networks is like, you have to start by first learning about the network by uh, authenticating users and, and devices as they connect. And so as Darren was talking about with ICE, um, you know, being able to leverage that centralized service that can not only authenticate users against your uh, different directories, whether it's like Microsoft Active Directory or cloud-based uh, directory services, but then combining that with more data, like what type of device is this? 
And then being able to take all of that, combine it together, uh, you know, maybe like, you know, what's the posture state of that device? Um, maybe they, maybe you're using MDM or, you know, a posture assessment tool. Uh, but being able to figure out, is that device like worthy of connecting based on its state? Do they have their firewall enabled? Are they are they up to date on, you know, specific applications and all that? And then combine that into an outcome uh, that allows you to attach policy to that endpoint. And so when Darren says, uh, you know, the feature set we've worked on, one of the feature sets that we uh, we worked on, uh, I think the longest now is uh, a feature called adaptive policy, which leverages some of the, uh, honestly, the R&D and, and awesome stuff that went into TrustSec. Uh, and then we leveraged it in a way that allowed uh, TrustSec effectively to be deployed by dashboard and be supported across our devices so that we could provide micro segmentation. So control over two endpoints communications, whether they're in the same subnet or uh, you know, across the entire organization, uh, but do so using like natural language. So being able to attach a grouping to a user's traffic and then have that metadata follow it as it goes through the network. I don't know if you want to add anything else to that, Darren, specifically. Well, one thing that I was so uh, enthusiastic about working with the Meraki team about it was that, you know, efficiency and, and, and simplicity of implementation that was an opportunity. In the past, if you wanted to deploy TrustSec, you had to go into a switch and you had to know the CLI to configure and you had to, you know, make a bunch of decisions and then you had to do it on the next switch and the next switch and the next switch. And the the thing that really made me interested in wanting to work with the Meraki team is that efficiency and simplicity of deployment that gives you the basis of, you know, software defined segmentation where you have flexibility and resiliency in the policy definition, and then it goes everywhere in the environment. So I really think, you know, this consolidation of tools, you know, you have security centers within Meraki, uh, you have a secured tool like adaptive policy, and you have the view of normal networking operations for the IT user is is super interesting and was a, a real pleasure to work with. Yeah, I, I think that's... Yeah. Uh, sorry, go ahead, Alex. No, no, no. No, go ahead, Simon. I was just about to say that I, I think uh, you're just reminding me, Darren, of one of the things that I, I love about our part of Cisco, the Meraki part, um, is, is that we have, I think, done a very nice job of taking quite complex things that, that can easily overwhelm a lot of IT teams just in terms of uh, the, the sheer breadth of what you have to try to achieve uh, and the number of tools that you would t traditionally need to be able to achieve them, both both in terms of hardware and software, um, and just, just consolidate it. And, it. and it's a hard thing to do. Like Making things easier for, for people, especially in the realm of security, is... It's it sounds great and it sounds wonderful. We all want some of that, but it's not an easy thing to do. Would I be right, Alex? Oh, I yeah. I would say that the one of the one of the most difficult, sometimes most frustrating parts of uh, this job and working in product here is the fact that we can't just turn everything on or uh, you know give access to every single uh, configuration option for a lot of these features uh, without making a very concerted effort that what we're turning on and what we're enabling is useful and makes sense. And mm -hmm. sometimes it's frustrating to the point where we have to fall back and do quite a bit of like user research to making sure that what we're actually um, looking to put together 
makes sense to the people that are going to use it versus me, for instance, where, you know, of course, I'm going to sit here and think that everything I've thought of was as intuitive as can be, but it's really up to, you know, the users and uh, the folks that use our products to be able to help drive um, how we come across, uh, you know, a lot of this development. But I agree completely. I think it's also one of the most rewarding things is seeing something that I know for a fact is very difficult to do uh, and deploy, um, especially at scale, and see it come together in a very, uh, I would say, uh, usable. I can't think of the right term. I'm, I'm trying to come up with it is Monday, but uh, <laughs> uh, effectively uh, consumable method, I guess, or consumable product. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and for me, you know, the, you know, the ability to take something that's sort of native built into uh, the Meraki MS390 and the MRs and, and soon the MXs is, is, and be able to use that in a way that's very efficient and flexible for controlling lateral movement, especially, you know, you put different users or devices into roles, you know, there's guest or contractor, whatever the role might be that makes sense for your use case. And to be able to manage all of that at a dashboard and have it affect as much or as little of your network as you choose, that's super powerful. And, then to get information about how that new policy of, you know, Darren shouldn't talk to Alex because they just talk too much. Um, <laughs> and so put a deny in there, you know, that and being able to do it from anywhere. You know, that's one of the beauties of uh, dashboard is you, you can troubleshoot and you can administer the policy from anywhere at any time. And we've spent a lot of effort, you know, Alex and the team probably are, are sick of me telling them all of the options that they could turn on and them having to reduce that down into a simplified way to do the deployment that fits, you know, the, the Meraki consumer, or the listeners of this podcast. It, it, it was really a, a really interesting discussion. In, in some ways, we're, we're bringing it full circle because we're, we're now talking about the benefits of making it easier for people. And and that really makes me think about where we came in at the beginning around Cybersecurity Month is that you know if we make things easier, people are more likely to actually go and implement them. And we're more likely thereby to overall level up the the the, the level of security that we that we all get to enjoy as a result. So that seems like yeah, a good I would, thing. Just to double uh just to double that statement, I think like the the one thing that I've tried to have as a goal especially after joining product was I, I like, I really love like complex and advanced technologies, um, whether I can comprehend them or not. I'll let Darren state that. But uh, I think the, the one thing that no always <laughs> perfect, uh, I've always had a huge focus on, I, I want to make things accessible and I want to make these really cool technologies accessible because uh, once again, I mean, not all, not all of our users are, are willing to like debug things at a packet capture level. Not all of our users, uh, are consistently in a CLI where they completely understand everything they're looking at, or even partially understand it. And making it making it something people can use, as you said, is like, I mean, that's how we really bring security and bring a lot of these technologies down to you know folks that never would have even thought about it in the first place, and do it in a way that's consumable. Is like, it's really rewarding. Uh, I, I watched a uh, school district uh, testing uh, adaptive policy specifically, and they were working through. Uh, just applying a policy and 
they were pinging this these two devices between these two devices, and they were like, ah, I just don't believe it's going to work. And I watched them click a button and just click deny, and uh, bam, traffic stopped. And everyone in, on the call was like, wait a minute, that's it? We, <laughs> we don't have to do anything else. And they're like, no, 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 that's the whole point. And I think, uh, I don't know, that's like the thing that really like, when I work on these functions is like, I, I can't wait to see people actually get to use them. Um, or in fact, even more so, I love seeing people talk about these features after, you know, we've sat here and, uh, you know, worked so hard on developing them, like seeing people like give, uh, Darren and I were reveling at this one, uh, giving breakout sessions at Cisco Live. And we never even <laughs> heard from any of these folks, just random yeah. out of the blue. It's like, whoa, who did this? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Out of the blue, somebody takes the the concept, creates a, a presentation about it, and never asks ask you for input. That's a that's a very empowering feeling as a a product developer. Um, so yeah, that was that was a really fun uh, thing that you brought to my attention, Alex. These are great stories, and it's it's like a democratization process, which is a word we we do use quite a bit on the on the podcast because it's uh, it's just a good way to describe bringing powerful technology to more users and, and more individuals and, and to level up security as a result. Um, I, I do want to keep things moving towards that uh, conclusion of the podcast episode. And so with that in mind, uh, and I think we, we've actually partially answered some of this with some of the comments we've made during this episode, uh, but talking about Cybersecurity Month again, like what kind of practical steps uh, can and should our listeners take uh, this month? And and probably some of the folks who are listening, they already know this, they're on top of it. But um, you know, what are some of the basics we should be getting right? I have one to start that I try to I try to push anybody that asks me what's the first thing I could do to you know securing or or being better about security. And I think I think honestly, using some type of well trusted credential manager is just a start. Um, you shouldn't have your passwords written down in a book. You shouldn't have them written down anywhere uh, that's you know visible to the uh, just a passerby. And uh, I'm not going to throw out names, but there are there are a ton of them. Some of them very expensive. Some of them very inexpensive. Uh, but things that can help you generate passwords, that can help you manage and ensure that you're uh, you know you're not memorizing your passwords and just typing the same one into every web page is incredibly um, effective in my opinion, at least to start uh, when it comes to like personal uh, security practices. Yeah, and then you can use free services from, you know, some cloud service providers that look for your passwords inside of, you know, known breach databases. Um, there, there's different personal software that you can run. Um, if you're a business, you know, start investigating, you know, zero trust and start investigating what, uh, adaptive policy is uh, because inside of the Meraki uh, dashboard, you you have access to a pretty robust set of tools that um, are very easy to use, and you can build a simple policy to make sure that the only place people can go to is the internet if that's what you want, or the only place they want to you, you want them to go is the known applications in your environment. It's it's a pretty simple way to get started. That note, uh, I did do a. A tech field day presentation this past uh june so if you uh if you can uh, i think if you check into techfieldday.com uh there's a session in there uh 
something titled with adaptive policy in there that uh, I did present. Got a, got a couple real good questions from the crowd. Um, it's probably a good place to start if you're curious as to the, the functionality. Um, shameless, shameless self-plug there. But, um. <laughs> I saw that one, Alex. It was really good. So highly recommended to check that out. And, uh, and then you can see what Alex looks like since we're, uh, we're all audio only on this thing. <laughs> I apologize now. <laughs> okay you notice i'm not volunteering to for any of my videos to be seen because you know i don't want to oh, inflict that hold damage on. on anyone hold on what's the session brk sec 3697 all right <laughs> no it, it's not but i'm not going to tell you what it is oh come on it's something it's close it. though just search darren it's miller in the cisco live 3690 yeah. okay. there you go and and coming to a cisco live near you at some at some point in the not too distant future i'm sure as well okay gentlemen i think we'll take it uh, to the to the end here uh, thank you both uh, very much for joining us i think i mean it's it's been a reminder of how time flies when you're enjoying yourself um it's we've uh, we've covered a lot of ground but in some ways it feels like we barely even scratched the surface and i, I know that there's so much more depth we could go into and you're both you know considerable experts experts in this field um, and I would be super happy to go into more depth on on any topics that any of our listeners would like to uh, to learn more about. If there's anything we touched on that you'd like to to dive into in more time, uh, give you know for us to give it more time, let me know. And you know how to do that because I've say every single episode, Meraki Simon on Twitter, and uh, let us know if you've got any ideas. So, uh, gentlemen, um, thank you both very much. Darren, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much for the invitation. It was fun. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks, Alex. Uh, greatly appreciate it. And um, yeah, do go and check out the uh, the online features that um, both these gentlemen have been involved in in the past. I'm sure if you search the names, you'll find them soon enough. And uh, with that, I'm going to close things out and we will see you back here very shortly. Uh, we actually have an extra special bonus episode coming next week. Uh, so normally it's every two weeks, but uh, we've got so much material this month that we're just packing in one extra episode. So do join us for that. Uh, that'll be dropping in your favorite podcast app uh, next week. And then we'll be back onto our regular schedule right after that. So we'll see you back here on Meraki Unboxed very soon. Bye-bye for now. 